Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I am your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter and founder of The Copyworks. In this podcast, I interview marketing and copywriting experts on all facets of, well, marketing and copy, with an emphasis on the link between the two, with a focus on creating higher conversions in your B2B business. I also include recordings from the other side of the table where I'm interviewed by the host of other podcasts and short clips of tips from yours truly on copywriting. In short, you'll find something for everyone in the marketing and copywriting B2B world. Let's dig in. My podcast guest today is Nicole Gates. Nicole runs the demand generation department at Veronis, where she helps create innovative campaigns to drive business results across the globe. She has over 12 years of experience in marketing across a variety of industries, including SaaS, travel, finance, and manufacturing. But she claimed she would throw it all away to be invited onto the Real Housewives. So we'll have to dig into that. <laughs> She's patiently waiting for her invite. In today's interview, she talks about what do people get wrong when it comes to demand gen? How does copying content fit into a demand gen strategy? And if you want to implement demand gen, how do you even get started? Let's jump right in. All right. Well, awesome, Nicole. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be a guest on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. But I do have one question about your bio where you talk about how you'd give up everything to be on The Real Housewives. So I, <laughs> no. <laughs> are you really a fan of The Real Housewives? I, it is. That is like definitely like my Achilles heel, my guilty pleasure. I love Real Housewives, all the cities. And I always just joke, I would just give everything up to be a Real Housewife. But like I'd have a cook, I'd have a maid, nanny, like I'd have all the help. So I just could like lunch and dine and do whatever I wanted. So um, oh, that's, sure. that's the ideal. Well, it's funny. I used to live in Coto de Casa in California, and that's where the Real Housewives of Orange County originated. So people <laughs> would see some of these women out and about. And I don't know, it's just sort of weird. I never saw them myself, but they were known for being like thinking that they were really famous, like way more. Than oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. They're like pretty not the best human beings and they're usually like you know pretty mean to each other so i guess i shouldn't like i don't idolize them but just the lifestyle where you know like my biggest problem is like who said what over like lunch yesterday or i'm not invited to like the trip to Vale or something like that that would i wish those were my like main concerns in life oh my gosh that'd be funny but yeah so getting into today's topic so demand generation i have a couple questions before we even get to the real big questions but is demand gen like, how new is it? Because I don't remember a year and a half ago even hearing about it. Was it always around? And was it just called something different or what? Yeah, I feel like it's always been around, but this is a new term probably in the last like five years. Definitely, you know, Chris Walker and Refined Labs has made it pretty mainstream. But I think ultimately it's just about, you know, I think it's what marketing's always been, even back, to, back in like the 50s when you think of Mad Men, where, you know, you're putting out content and information about your product into the audience that you're trying to target. But then, you know, when the internet came around and attribution and inbound marketing, everyone thought you could kind of measure things and just really, there, that's when there was that, like the growth hacker kind of came out. And you don't really see growth hackers as much anymore because they were like, oh, 
if we just tweak ads here and we do this copy and then we hit them with personalization here, we're going to drive demos. And that's just not how buyers are, especially B2B. It's not that like technical, you can't just turn a switch. And so I think as the growth hackers kind of saw their top of the line and then they started like declining, I think that's when demand gen kind of came in and they were saying it's more than just performance marketing and tweaking and getting the exact right copy down. It's more about the holistic experience of getting that content out, getting that information out in a way that the audience wants to see it and where they already are. Yeah, I think it's one of those terms that's sort of abstract. Like it's taken me probably about a year to fully like understand what it is. And I still, like I haven't seen it in action. It's almost like, it's like an abstract concept. I understand, but I, until I get involved in it, like if somebody says, okay, this is demand gen, you're going to be part of it. And I actually see the process, then it's like anything else. You kind of have to be, experience it, I think, to really know you know, what it's all about. Is it different for different companies too, or for different niches even? Is it that? Yeah. They're a system that's pretty much universal. I think you're not alone. I think a lot of people think they know what demand gen is or aren't really sure. Usually when I've seen job applications for demand gen managers, it'll be very performance based or ABM focused. And it's just like, this, this is what it is, but it's actually much more than that. I think it's a more holistic approach to marketing. And it's about how you take all these pieces, content, social, brand, with paid advertising and tie it all together so that it's a holistic kind of customer experience while also trying to track revenue rather than just saying, oh, we drove website traffic, but actually being like, no, we're driving pipeline that's converting into sales and working very closely with sales. So I think it's hard to kind of like see it in action because it's not just like, oh, we're going to do social media and it's social media strategy and you're going to see, you know, these posts and we're going to get engagement. Like it's a a holistic part of a bunch of different departments. So it's hard to kind of nail down, but most people mistake it for just performance marketing. And is that what you would say is one of the things that people get wrong about demand gen? And if so, are there other things that people think demand gen is that it isn't or vice versa? Yeah, I think the number one thing I've seen is they think it's performance marketing or paid advertising or you're just a PPC manager. Another thing that I've seen is they just think that you just ungate content and you call it a day. And that's just, that's going to be demand, which that's also not the case. Like there's the whole ungate gate debate and, you know, you should only ungate if you have a strategy for what happens like throughout the whole process. I think another thing that I've seen And that people also think it's a very short-term fix. So, you know, C-suite will come in and they hear all the trends about demand gen and they'll be like, okay, we're going to implement demand gen. And then three months in, they're like, okay, why isn't traffic? Why isn't revenue up? Like, why aren't we seeing more deals and demos coming through? And it's a little bit longer term strategy. And so people kind of think it's like a switch that you can flip on, kind of thinking it's more of that growth hacker type of role that was popular like eight years ago. So those are probably the three things that I've seen demands get mistaken for. Is there like a minimum amount of time that once you implement demand gen to even start checking to see if it's working or not? One of the things that you have to look at is sales cycle. So if your sales cycle is like a year long, you can't expect to see changes happening until at least a year and probably three months because, you know, marketing kind of takes a little time to get people in the door. But if your sales cycle is already a year, you can't really track the changes happening until that sales cycle has come through. And that's where that issue usually applies because these bigger B2B SaaS companies come in, 
put in demand gen strategy and then, but they have a sales cycle so that's like a year, 18 months or something. And then they'd expect to see results in like six months. And you're like, it still has to kind of work its way through that sales cycle. And then once you have that, you will start seeing, I mean, there's leading indicators, like you're going to have more targeted leads coming in, more higher intent leads coming in from your target audience or your ICP. But also other things that you can see are that sales cycle will shorten eventually because people are already educated out in that marketplace. So by the time they already enter into your pipeline, they're ready to go and they don't need all that convincing from sales. You should see more revenue generation, usually hopefully bigger accounts also coming in. But those kind of leading indicators, they're not really leading indicators, are just KPIs that you'll see once demand gen is actually working itself. And then those leading indicators are talking to the right audience having the right audience kind of coming in and downloading or submitting forms or interacting with the website or checking out your review sites. Um, usually that's the one thing that I'll kind of look at to see if, is there a growth in that target audience kind of consuming our content. Okay, that makes sense. If a company is not using demand gen, like what are they doing then? Because it seems like it, it's a natural part of marketing. I mean, is it something that they're just kind of doing bits and pieces of it without really knowing like what how to put it together? Yeah, probably. I think people who aren't necessarily doing demand gen usually tend to lean on lead generation solely. So that's where, you know, the gate, no gate debate comes from and usually gets bad press over there because people just like are, okay, we're going to just create an ebook. We're going to put it behind a gate and then we're going to just post out a link on our Twitter or our Facebook with no real thought or strategy behind like our social media. And it's just social media is only to push out, you know, this link and people click on it. And they're going to download the ebook and then we're going to send that lead over to sales. So there's not really any nurturing being done. You don't really know if that leads great quality. There's no real like strategy behind it. And other than, oh, we're just going to create this ebook. And then that's when sales starts getting like a bad taste in their mouth about marketing leads because you're just sending over whatever downloads, webinar attendees, what have you, just because all you're looking for is getting contacts. And at this point, marketing should be more than just getting contacts because we have things like Zoom info that can just do that for us. So if that's all you're using your marketing team for, you should just invest in Zoom info and like call it a day. Right. And people will sign up for things and forget too. I mean, I used to run an yeah. fitness business and I even had people, I'll never forget one woman once. She said, I don't know to understand why I have a $47 charge. This was actually a purchase that she made, $47 charge. <laughs> and she goes, it's from you. And I don't know what I bought. And I had to show her a screenshot. You actually, you paid for this. You signed up for this. And then she just went, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> so when it comes to free things, it's even worse. And that's when, you know, a lot of times people will, if you follow up with emails and they just mark it as spam because they don't even remember where, you know, what they signed up for. And so, yeah, that's, that can be tough. And then when it comes to like copy and content, when it, how does that fit into demand gen? Yeah, I think both fit in fairly well. I mean, content is a big piece of demand gen because it's all about educating your market in the channels that they're already in. So having a really strong content marketing engine running is like key to having a very good demand gen strategy. But then copy is really important for the demand capture side. So you really want to make sure that you're really tight on your messaging on the website or any areas where you're, you know, converting that traffic. And you also want to make sure you're talking in the same tone that your target audience is, because if it doesn't seem authentic, usually people aren't going to be as engaged with your content or your materials. Do you think most people, because I get this question a lot, and I've talked about this, the difference between copy and content. 
Like I actually, I did a poll yesterday on LinkedIn and I asked people what they would most like me to kind of break down from, you know, perspective of this is how, you know, behind the scenes. And the thing that's getting the most votes so far is showing a piece of content, like a blog. So to me, content is to entertain or inform where copy is with a call to action in mind. Like there's something you want the person to do and it doesn't necessarily have to be a buy, but a lot of times it is, but it could be click, sign up, schedule a demo, schedule a meeting. All those things would be copy, direct copywriting. When it comes to content, people have asked me, well, how is that different? Um, how do you define it? Like, do you see the difference in the same way or do you define it differently? No, that's how I see it. So for example, you know, thinking of a demand gen strategy, you know, I'm going to have blog or webinar or podcast. And that would be my content piece. You know, like I'm not so worried about conversions and making sure that we're optimizing for clicks. It's more of like, I really want to educate and entertain with that content. And I'll usually bring in like subject matter experts or people who are like journalists in their past life, because I want them to tell a story. I want them to really understand how to convey that story out to that audience. You know, it's a much different skill set than like copy. And so then I approach copy like branding pages or PPC ads or display advertising. I'm not looking for like full form, beautiful sentences there. I'm looking for like copy that converts and is actionable. And I've come across this a few times with, you know, some people who I've worked with where maybe they're a little bit more on the journalistic side and then they're writing copy for an ad. And I'm like, no, the sentence should start with an action and it should be short and concise and like has to fit in this many words. And, you know, it's a lot, it's hard to kind of navigate between the two, but I feel like a lot of marketing teams tend to think that you can do both or have someone who's doing both. I mean, there's probably people who can, but it is definitely a different skill set. It's a whole different mindset because, you know, I used to do a lot of content writing for magazine. And so that was, I mean, I'd often have like 2,000 words to play with, you know, 2,000, 3,000 word articles sometimes. So it wasn't easier. I had to be better organized, but it was interviews with people. It was kind of taken through a story, but there was no pressure to have them do something. And so right. when I started doing copywriting and I thought that it was a, a very similar thing. And I didn't know, this was years ago. And I tried writing copy for an ad and the editor was like, I wasn't an editor where somebody had, was running a business. She goes, can you write copy? And I said, yes, even though I, I assumed, <laughs> you know, like a lot of people, it was the same thing. She said that, you know, this isn't right. And I didn't know what was wrong with it until I started learning copy myself. And now the thing, the flip is that the, I do like 80% of what I do is research. Like for me to come up with a simple landing page takes tons of research and interviews. And then it comes down to what they end up seeing is, you know, just the tip of the iceberg of all of that. Right. It's almost the opposite with content where you see everything, you know, and so you don't see all the research, but it's still, it's very different. So if you wanted to implement a demand gen strategy, like who is your ideal customer? Like, do you work with a specific size? Yeah. Ours is, you know, like CISOs, enterprise accounts, you know, pretty large corporations for my current role, but I've worked for much smaller where um, it's just a specific like kind of industry. It's smaller sizes, you know, small, medium-sized businesses to large enterprise businesses. So I've kind of across my career worked with ICPs that are much different that compared to each other. So how would you implement a demand gen strategy for like, how would it differ from each and how would you, how would you even get started? 
Yeah, I think it always starts with, you know, really understanding that target audience and that ICP. I usually like to start with customer interviews, listening to sales calls, really getting in and trying to understand like prospects and like, what are those questions that they're asking? What are those blockers? Like, why aren't we winning deals? Why are we winning deals? And kind of first getting those key questions and then creating a strategy around, okay, how do we get you know, this information that's usually kind of held in the sales hands and get it out into the public so that buyers are a little bit more in control of the information that they get. So they're already informed. And by the time they come into sales, they already have most 80% of the information and are already convinced and just kind of need to see like, you know, technical things or pricing, you know, and the sales are just there to facilitate the sale. So I would start there. I wouldn't necessarily say like completely do a 180 for your demand gen strategy, like if you're doing lead gen and you want to do demand gen, this is, you know, a hot topic among the demand gen community. Like, should you just do 180 and go or should you kind of go slow? I think at first it's good to test and show the results of it and then kind of expand it just because you do have to get that buy-in from the C-suite or your executive or your boss. And you don't want to like cut something off that's going to completely drop off any of your leads or revenue or things that the sales team relies on because then it's just going to put a negative taste in their mouth again and no one's going to want to continue doing demand gen. You're going to just come back to doing what you have been before. When I ask like SaaS companies, like what's the hardest thing for people to overcome? And they call it the switch, like in copywriting, it's called the switch. And that's the point where the person gives up what either what they're currently doing even if that what they're currently doing is nothing, you know, literally using mm-hmm. paper for, you know, some, maybe a, some kind of CRM or something. And then just being able to adapt a whole new software is just really difficult. Yeah. Always scary. <laughs> yeah. Do you see that that is a common theme, like just getting them to make a change? Yeah, I think it boils down to, you know, how people are viewing demands incorrectly in the first place. So there's still a lot of education that needs to happen within the executive level C-suite about what demand gen is and making sure those expectations are in line with what they're looking for. And so no one likes change. We're, you know, human. We are definitely against change in any sort of sense. And so like not only to initiate that change is scary, but then to make sure that it actually presents results and results that your C-suite or executive level or your boss are expecting. So in my experience, I've realized how important internal marketing is. It's part of my job as a demand gen person in all the different roles that I've kind of come in and helped implement demand gen. Probably some of like 50 to 60% of my time is internally marketing myself, our results, what we're doing, why, and kind of bringing everyone along with it. And so it's a big task. It's something that I made a mistake on earlier in my demand gen career where I just was like, oh, you gave me an approval. I'm running with it. I'm fine. Like you got... you. <laughs> You proved it. You don't need to know anything else. And it bit me in the butt later on. So now I'm like, okay, if you're going to do this, it takes time. It's You have to make sure your expectations are aligned with your boss or executives or whoever are going to be hearing about this the most and make sure you bring uh, everyone along with you. That includes the marketing team, the sales team, the client success team, C-suite. You have to make sure they're all on board or they're going to end up being that buffer or that bottleneck that's not going to allow you to be successful in your demand gen efforts. But you've been in this business for like 12 years, I think you had said in, in your bio. Do you see a change now in 
how marketing and sales are starting to see the benefits, like it's not as hard to implement or to, I hate to use the word convince, but sometimes it's part of it, right? Just that this is what we need to do. Is it, Has there been a shift? I that? think so. You know, I think most people are understanding that B2B buyers are buying differently. And I think, you know, COVID helped change that mainly because people with the internet, they're just out there and they want to get all the information. Everyone kind of knows that old kind of like inbound model where like I download the ebook, salesperson reaches out to me and says, Hey, I saw you download this ebook. Want to talk? And then you have, you're going to get sucked into a demo and follow up calls and all these things. So people are a little jaded by that, I think. And so they're like, before I give them my contact information, I want to get as much information myself before they even have my email because I know they're going to like hound me. And I think salespeople are feeling that too, where if they're not, they're having to be a little bit more creative with their outreach strategies and they're doing some social selling on LinkedIn. And so they're starting to become a little bit of a blur between sales and marketing. And they have to work in tandem a lot closer than I think they'd had previously, where sales has to do a little thought leadership. They have to do a little outreach on social media, where marketing has to be a little bit more mindful on revenue and what they're actually bringing over to sales and not just throwing leads over the wall and calling it the day. That's what I've been seeing. I still think we're in the transition phase. I've been lucky enough to be in some companies that are a little more progressive thinking or are trying to move into this more modern way of marketing, but I still think there's other companies that are still a little resistant to that. Because I just see a lot of posts on LinkedIn and I'm kind of an outsider. I've never worked in a corporate environment. So I'm just getting like, you know, what I see on LinkedIn and there's a lot of, you know, sales and marketing doesn't get along or they don't understand. And if your <laughs> boss is not, you know, on board with, if he's not on board with marketing, he or she, you know, that there's a problem. And I see a lot of like dissension. It's like people aren't working together. It seems like, why can't we all just get along? But I guess, you know, and not having been in a company like like yours, I don't know. I mean, is that like a common thing? People are supposed to be working together, but often it's just difficult. Yeah, I think for me as a demand gen person, one of my things is to be friends with the sales team, be friends with the sales leader and be just as connected with them as I am with the marketing team. Because I do see that as if you're able to work together and hear feedback on like what we are giving over to sales, what they like, what they don't like, what they wish we were doing. And then you can apply that to your marketing. You usually get, you know, I mean, obviously you get better sales and better revenue too, but there is that tension mainly for how, you know, that older model of marketing where it was just like through the pipeline, all we care about is leads. And then as soon as we get that contact information, we're throwing it over there. So I think sales is like, there's this shift in how people are buying, which is affecting sales and making it harder for salespeople to like convert and hit their, it's like people are ignoring emails, they're ignoring calls, less people are willing to give their contact information. So sales is feeling that pressure. And then they have the bad, you know, experience with marketing that marketing's only given them bad leads that just download the ebook and nobody really wants to like care about it. Right. And hopefully this demand gen shift will help alleviate that where sales and marketing are more partners. They're a little friendlier with each other. They see each other as equals that are both on the same ship going to the same way. Um, and I think that's the main thing for demand gen. It's like we're bringing everybody together, whether it's the whole marketing department so that we're all aligned, but also sales. And we're all kind of driving to how do we grow the business rather than Marketing, I'm just in charge of leads and sales. Like, you guys can, whatever happens with you guys is your own fault. Like, it's not, it has anything to do with us. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because with 
like I get hired a lot for to write emails for companies. And uh, I always ask, like, can you send over the emails you've been sending? And I can <laughs> immediately see why they're not working because there's yeah. no nurturing. There's no, it goes from, hey, you know, they might outline the problem, but then the second sentence is, let's jump on a call. No one wants to jump on a call. Not until they really know that you are the right person or the right company for them, you know? And so it's, uh, yeah, there's a whole process there that I can completely see that. This, that's actually the last question I have, but where can people find you and find out more about what you do? Everybody can just come find me on LinkedIn. I'm not pushing anything. I just like talking about marketing at the mansion. So if you like anything I've said, follow me on LinkedIn. I post occasionally and usually make really dumb marketing memes once in a while. So <laughs> maybe you'll find those amusing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks so much, Nicole. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, so that wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it valuable. And if you did and you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with friends and business associates who may find it of interest as well. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn or you can reach out to me through my website at thecopyworks.com and we'll talk to you soon.